Hello, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm your host, Tamar Ben-Svi, and I'm so happy that you are here today to listen in on this week's episode. This week, we have Shoshana Keats-Jaskal from Chachmat Nashim. She is an incredible individual who is fighting for women's rights in Orthodox Judaism. So often, you know, we see magazines, flyers. There's so many different things that we see, and women's faces aren't there. Or um, maybe women are marginalized in other ways. We talk about Ramah Beishemesh and how there's all these signs of you have to be sneeze, you have to be modest, you have to look a certain way. And, and it's really not okay. It's not okay what the people that are part of Orthodox Judaism sometimes do. Yeah, we are Orthodox Jews too. And we love Orthodox Judaism. But how do we make it more accepting? How do we make it more caring? How do we make it more acceptable to be a woman? A woman is not, is not like a crazy phenomenon. A woman is the most basic type of human. It's woman and man. It's not just a man's world. So how do we, in a halachic way, how do we incorporate women more into the Torah Orthodox Jewish world? And that's what we talk a lot about in this podcast. We talk a lot about what made Shoshana be this advocate, who she is, where she came from. Um, and yeah, so definitely enjoy this episode. It's really an intense one. It's a fun one. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts after. So without further ado, Shoshana keeps Jesco. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anything But Traditional. I'm here today with Shoshana Keats-Draskel. She started Chachmat Nashim about 10 years ago? Um, we started our activities probably around 2012, but we didn't become an official non-governmental organization or Amuta until 2017. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Okay, so in those five years, what was going on? So Everything we were doing was volunteer. It wasn't a, an official organization like we worked but we worked voluntarily and then thank god it, it became so popular and so successful that we we're like okay we actually have to turn this into something wow that's incredible okay well i guess yeah. we're going right into it <laughs> um <laughs> but the i mean what were you doing for work before Chachmat nashim so i like a lot of people who make aliyah completely pivoted. You know, I have a degree in environmental studies from Rutgers University. I originally wanted to be the minister of environment and clean up the country. Um, but mm. I wound up, you know, making Aliyah, getting married and having babies and things. And so that path was not uh, the one I took, but um, I made Aliyah three times. The first time as a single person, the second time uh, two weeks after I got married, and then the third time after we were married and, and we were in the States for six years. And at that time, I was, you know, you do whatever you can to make it here. Like, yeah. My dream was to live here. I didn't really care what I was doing. I just wanted to be here. And so um, I've always been a writer, and I wound up doing a lot of writing <clears throat> and um, grant writing, marketing, uh, helping nonprofits and small businesses tell their stories to stand out from competition. Um, and that's what I did. I built a business with my sisters, actually, because uh, being a mom and working is a lot. 
And our talents were suited to work together. Nice. My sister was in PR. My other sister was in foundation fundraising. Cool. Yeah, we were able to give organizations and businesses like quite a large basket of sources in one place. And we worked well together, shockingly. I guess when you grow up and you're adults, then you can actually get along. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, yeah, we have... I mean, the business still exists, but it's very low burner. It's called Reach 3K. Wow. And uh, you can find it on the internet. And if if you really want us to, we can tell your story for you. Wow. I did not know that you have a company besides for Chachman Hashem. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, Thank you. It's also interesting because I don't know if you know, but I've created a company called Tales of. And cool. It's a media company for nonprofits and mission-driven businesses. Um, so it seems, you know, kind of similar. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So why did you make Aliyah three times? (laughs) Well, the first time I made Aliyah, my mother asked, not asked me, told me that I was going to go on a martial living when I was about 17 or 18 years old. Um, I did not want to go. My grandparents were survivors. I knew everything I needed to know about Hitler, the war, the Germans, the Poles. I really did not need to know anymore, or so I thought. But my mother being a Holocaust educator and having been there herself, she really felt I should go. And so I went, my sister is uh, 17 months younger than I, and we both went together in high school. Uh, And as I was in a Polish Jewish cemetery that had been horribly vandalized, um, I just remember standing there and being like, you know, they're never going to leave us alone. They're never, ever going to leave us alone. Even the dead Jews aren't left alone if they're vandalizing cemeteries. And I was just like, yeah, I don't ever want to live at the mercy of another nation. Um, and then for anyone not familiar with March of Living, you're five days in Poland and then five days in Israel. So after we did that, after we did the march from Auschwitz to Birkenau, we went to Israel and we were here during um, Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaZikaron, and it was just like, why the heck would I ever, ever want to live anywhere else? Okay. So I came home, my poor mom, all she wanted me to do was like, you know, really understand the Holocaust. And then I'm like, yo, I'm making Aliyah. I'm not staying here. She's true. like, All right, well, you are finishing college first. So I went to Stern for two years, went to Rutgers for two years, graduated with a degree in environmental studies, cool. and then immediately started a master's in Middle Eastern studies. And I was going to put the two together and become the Minister of Environment. But then I met a boy on the beach in a lot during a marine biology course from New Jersey, he was from New Jersey. Wow. And he was like obviously interested. And I'm like, oh, no. There's no. This is not happening. Like absolutely not. Like no. I'm marrying an Israeli. I'm speaking Hebrew. My kids are going to be barefoot in a moshav. This is not happening. Uh, but it happened. He was very, very persistent. And we got married and made Aliyah two weeks later. Actually officially made Aliyah two weeks after our marriage. Uh, lived here for about two and a half years, had a baby, but we didn't have anyone here with us. Um, and he felt like, you know, this boy is growing up without family. And I had promised him, you know, before we got married that if we didn't make it, if he really didn't want to be here, we would leave. And what am I going to do? Wow. <laughs> so like, we went to New Jersey. And we lived there for six years and the whole time I was miserable. Where in New Jersey were you? Bergenfield. Oh, okay, cool. And um, wait, where's he from? He's from Teaneck. I'm from Lakewood. Oh, okay, cool. There you go. So you Um, went back, like, to live near his family. Yeah. I mean, at that point, my parents, I don't think we're living in Lakewood anymore. No, they were in Lakewood, but 
I, I don't remember. Mm. We weren't going to move to Lakewood because the Lakewood that was now was not the Lakewood that I grew up in. So for it wasn't sure. even really an option. Um, <clears throat> so we lived there for six years. The whole time I was miserable and wanted to go home. Um, and then my sister, God bless her, made Aliyah in 2006, I believe. And so he could no longer say we didn't have any family there. So we moved back in 2007 to Beit Shemesh, which is why I do what I do now. Um, and so we've been here ever since. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Um, and what does your husband do? He works for Ichor Atzala, United Atzala. Oh, wow. I feel like you guys are literally dominating the world in terms of like chesed, <laughs> in terms of giving. Like, wow, that's incredible. Um, that's very sweet. Wow. Okay, and where did your sister move? She also moved to Beit Shemesh or she moved? She lived in Beit Shemesh at the time, yeah. And now she moved out? Mm, yeah, she she also went back to the States for a little bit and now she's in Modin. Oh, wow. It's a lot to follow. Your family's been <laughs> in and out of Israel a lot. Yeah. But now you're here yeah. to stay? Oh, yeah. And then my little sister made Aliyah in 2008, I believe. And then my parents came six years ago. So now, yeah, there's nothing... We're definitely not going back. Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to the, you went to Stern, but then you switched to Rutgers. What made you decide to switch to Rutgers? Well, my whole life, I went back and forth from Jewish school to non-Jewish school um, for various reasons. And I was in public high school, but Stern had a, um, early admissions back then. I don't know if they still do now. And I was able to skip my senior year of high school and just start college earlier. And since I really wanted to make Aliyah, it was great because it was just like a, nice. cutting a whole year. Um, so, right. So I started at Stern and then when I could transfer, um, I transferred to Rutgers for, for various reasons. That, that, like everything, all the reasons. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. My husband and I are uh, YU Stern alumni. So we definitely, you know, went through that system. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I really liked Stern and then things happened and um yeah mm. <laughs> i mean i hear that whatever i wanted to make aliyah afap so um, the second i graduated i was on the plane i actually was <laughs> the whole graduation i was like making airplanes at my mom and hashtag make aliyah <laughs> and i'm like i don't want like i'm leaving um so yeah i really i really hear that okay so I've been, I typically don't do this podcast like this where we're literally going back as opposed to forward. Back and forth. No, no, back and <laughs> forth I do, but like sometimes, like I feel like we're going back and back and back as opposed to like forward. Um, it's good to be different sometimes. Yeah, well, we are anything but traditional for a reason. And there you go. <laughs> so, okay, so let's go back to where did you grow up and what was your family like? I grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey, before it was Brooklyn. That's my joke. I remember you having Instagram stories when you went back to Lakewood and mm. it being like a really emotional experience for you. Um, Very hard for me to go back to Lakewood now. Um, Lakewood was a beautiful, beautiful town. And I mean that in every way. It was physically beautiful. You know, it's around a lake. There's woods. Many of the woods, or much of the woods, I should say, have been completely knocked down. And not knocked down in a sustainable way where you're like, okay, we're going to build within the environment. But they're just completely, like the hills are just raked. Like just completely cleared out 
there's a word and I can't think of it, but when you, when you completely clear it out and, and it's just gross. Um, and it's not done in a way that, it, whatever, I, I can go on and on. But it, it, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to see that, first of all. Second of all, you know, whenever you get a concentration of people who isolate, you wind up with a lot of good things, but also with a lot of bad things. And Jews tend to protect the community at the expense of the individual. Okay. And I think that mindset is a shtetl mindset. It's a mindset that leads to tremendous abuse. Uh, it's, it's, it's a mindset that leads to taking advantage of the hosts where you are. And, and certainly I'm not blaming everyone, God forbid. Um, but it is a shanda when laws are changed or are overruled or, you know, call me crazy, but you are in someone else's country and shouldn't be voting down a school budget so that people in public schools aren't getting, the kids aren't getting what they need. It's just not okay. It's just not okay. So I, I, I get very upset at these things. It's very hard for me. Um, and, you know, here in Israel, I can fight it. Yeah. And, I mean, still I'm sometimes called, you know, an anti-Semite, but usually I'm just called anti-Haredi uh, when I fight the things that are, in my mind, anti-Torah. Yeah. Um, you know, look, we started the, the question was what, how I grew up. I grew up in a Lakewood where Jews were Jews. It did not matter what you wore on your head, what you didn't wear on your head. It didn't matter if you wore pants or a skirt. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. You said good Shabbos to each other. Were there a lot of Haredim though or No. I mean, the yeshiva's been there for decades, right. so we had the yeshiva, and I, the day school that I went to was an orthodox day school, but the day school that I went to, I obviously had yeshiva teachers, like the moras wore wigs. Not that I knew what the hell that meant at the time. I didn't really, you know, I was whatever, but um, we, we all took a Shabbos to each other. We all were Jews. Like, we didn't, under this garbage that we have now, yeah. at least I was un completely blissfully unaware of it, but we had ref a reform shul, a conservative shul, a modern orthodox shul, and the yeshiva. Wow. But you don't have that now. My school, where we had boys and girls together for most classes, is now a base vega or something. It's wow. not, it doesn't even exist anymore. Um, I mean, it exists as a building, but yeah. Did the reform and conservative shul end peacefully there? Or was it like a upheaval? No, Jews just moved out. Jews moved out as more and more of one type moved in than the others moved out because it became unsustainable schools weren't able to sustain themselves or or communities of were, were growing or popping up and growing and like look you know highland park didn't exist when i was a kid i mean it existed but it wasn't a jewish community oh, wow. you know elizabeth edison all of these neighborhoods are new in terms of jews i mean now the funny thing is like when i was growing up tom's river and jackson they were not jewish at all like yeah yeah and now they're like, like it's crazy now i can't i can't it's very it's crazy anyway so yeah i grew up in a very different society and one where we respected our non-jewish neighbors we understood that we were not how do i say this it wasn't ours it's not ours and and i think we need to relearn that humility a little bit i i i i don't think that I don't know, there's a perspective that's lost. I don't want to be too harsh. But. You can be harsh. That's what we do here. But I don't <laughs> like to be harsh, you know? I mean, I think it's it's not okay. I, I think I said what I, you know, I think I'm even Yavin at this point. Uh, and, you know, now that I see these fakakta circulars that are going around without a woman's face on it, there was no, none of that 
garbage when I was a kid. And now say, oh, the way the women, they, 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 they dress at the supermarket, Hashem, you're after my kid, walk down the aisle. Who, who are you? What's the matter with you? Come on. Come yeah. On. Whatever. You're right. No, for sure. For sure. Wait, how many siblings do you have? I have two sisters. You have two sisters. So you're the oldest of three girls. Yeah. And are they also involved in Making women's noise? rights and Judaism <laughs> and, uh, you know, being well, loud voices in the Orthodox Jewish world? No, um, they are not. But not because they're not loud. They're loud, just as loud as I am. But you know, one of my sisters works for the Kobe Man- Mandel Foundation. She, um, oh. yeah, she does really, really, really good work there. Very busy doing wonderful things there. And my other sister is uh, going to be a naturopath, actually. Cool. So she's really into helping individuals be healthy, um, wow. which I think is awesome. So definitely, you know, we all have our voices, but I'm the only one who uses mine in exactly this way, which is good. I don't know how many of us we could have in the family. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. Um, okay, so coming from Lakewood, did you think that you were going to end up in a community like Ramat Beit Shemesh? Like, I've always, I mean, this has been my question for you for ages of how did you end up in your Ramat Beit Shemesh and why do you stay here? Not that I'm kicking you out. I'm just confused. <laughs> no, no. I think, look, when you make Aliyah, especially with children, there's two ways to go. You jump in headfirst into the fire and you sink or swim. I know that I mix metaphors, but I think everyone will understand what I'm saying. Um, or you take a soft landing and hope that that helps everyone adjust. Now, because I was not alone, the first time I was just into the fire in the deep end, I just wanted to s- swim. But when you come with kids, and at that point I had three kids, um, the second meeting, the third Aliyah, I felt that I had to go where I knew people and I had to go where people spoke English. Otherwise, I was concerned, very concerned about the landing that the kids would have. Um, and at that time, most of the people that I knew that lived in Israel were living in Ramat Beit Shemesh. So that was really the reason. I did not know anything about Ramat Beit Shemesh. I didn't know. So, like, I thought I was moving into, like, a modern Orthodox, not modern Orthodox, the Tilomi community. I did not understand. I was completely unaware, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Wow. Um, Now, I'm assuming your listeners know what I'm talking about, so I don't have to elaborate. I mean, you could elaborate a little bit. So I would just say that very unlike my growing up in Lakewood, where, as I said, everybody does what they do and everyone respects one another. It's not what I found here. You know, I was getting circulars to my home, magazines to my home that women were disappearing from, girls were disappearing from. They were either blurred out or cut out. Um, my daughters were told to sit in the back of the bus because that's where girls belong. Um, and so I was just like, what the hell is happening here? Like, who yeah. do these people think they are? I had never encountered Haredi Mafia. I never encountered what's called kitsonim, which are extremists, or sikrikim, that's the other word, uh, you know. The most extreme sects of Judaism were controlling the neighborhood. Um, and, you know, I've always been somebody who fights back. You know, I don't give in to bullies. And so I fought back and I started writing about it. I started writing in the Times of Israel um, about what I was seeing. And then people started writing back to me either from around here or from around other communities saying, yeah, that's happening here too. All of our magazines don't have women. 
our women are told not to drive or whatever. And that's kind of what started me on the path. Um, so why am I still here? Well, as <laughs> you know, there aren't many places one can afford in this country. Um, and I have been looking for years. Wow. Um, it's very sad for me to see the destruction of Bechemesh, which is the same concept of I'm going to do what's good for me. I'm going to do what's good for me, and I'm not looking at others. And that is such a disgusting outlook that, you know, if you look across at Ramat Gimel and Dalid, yeah. they have completely, this, the whole plan was always supposed to be a national park there. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm not saying you can't build. But first of all, there's supposed to be a national park there. There's not going to be a national park. Second of all, it's a migration for the deer. I don't know if you've ever driven on on 10 and you see deer out. It's because we have destroyed their habitat. And they can't migrate anymore across those hills because they have completely and totally destroyed it and built ghettos. What do I mean by ghettos? Everyone's living on top of each other. There's not enough schools. There are not enough mikvaot. There's not enough infrastructure. And there's raw sewage running through the hills. Mm. So you tell me what's good about that. Why should Haredim, and they're building for Haredim, why should Haredim have to live like that? Who needs, who wants raw sewage? Why aren't there enough parks, schools? Why do schools have to fight with other schools yeah. for resources? It's disgusting. Great. It's not okay. But they're like, oh, I built 500,000 housing units. Well, good for you. None of them have infrastructure. Mm. Like. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an irresponsibility that I don't understand, and it's something that I can't look at anymore. I just li literally can't look at it anymore. I can't watch this city go down the toilet. No, totally. I, I, I really hear you. I mean, you've lived here now, right? You said that you moved here in 2007? Yeah. yeah. So you've lived here for almost 20 years. I have lived here for almost 17 years. Wow. So how has, I mean... Was there ever a time that you felt happy in Beit Shemesh? That you felt like, yeah, I'm happy where I am and that my family is happy? And I mean, look, the community here is amazing. Yeah. There's no question. Like, the people who live in Beit Shemesh have become a family. Yeah. I mean, and they're so active. There's so many active people here who work so hard for the community, who fight for the community, who fight for those who are falling between the cracks, who fight for... Uh, justice and, and equity. I am blown away the quality of human beings that live here, um, but we're not enough, yeah. right? We, we aren't the ones who are running City Hall. We aren't the ones who run the religious services here. So I am, yeah, I mean, it's not been miserable to live here because the people are amazing. What's miserable is to see what's happening in the wider city, what's happening with the modesty signs, what's happening. I mean, I was spit on and called a shiksa, for God's sake. Like, come on. Wow. Why? That doesn't mean... Why are there parts of the city that I'm afraid of to, to go to? I literally, there are parts of the city I won't walk out of. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's not okay. That, yeah. I mean, I, I I totally hear you, but why were you called a shiksa and spit on? Because you're like not, you're like pretty sneeze. You are pretty, you're you're pretty religious. Pretty I mean, <laughs> no, like I'm saying, like Kinda it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> what you're a woman, so they spit on you? Because I was a woman where they didn't want me to be, so they spit on me. I don't know if you remember um, the Arot Bonot fiasco, where there's basically a, a girls' school that was built. <sighs> okay. 
there are neighborhoods of Bet Shemesh where the most Datilu, me, worky Israelis live literally across the street from the most extreme. That was very poorly done. But the people, by the way, who were there first were the Israelis working Datilu, me. And then they brought in these extremists who live across the street and they would send them letters like, get rid of your television. We can see it through your window. Make sure your teenagers don't stand outside or throw eggs at them. Like disgusting behavior. Um, and they tried to intimidate them. Obviously they failed. Um, but there was a school that was being built on this tefer, this seam, this border, quote unquote, even though it's not a border, it's a street. Uh, and it was years in the making. Well, so some people didn't want that. Why? Because it's a turf war. It's not about sneas. There's nothing unsneas about a six-year-old in a skirt, you freaking yeah. pervert. But it's about turf. And so they wanted that school. They didn't want the Datilumi community to be there. So back then, Abutbul was the mayor, and he was trying to convince the parents and teachers to move schools. We're like, we just built this building. We fundraised for this building. Yeah. Psycho. We're not leaving. Be a mayor. Anyway, they literally bust in. I mean, this was international news. You could look this up. But um, they bust in psychos. Most of them didn't even live here. And they would stand there and throw diapers and throw fish and, like, scream shiksa and wow. spit on little girls. It was disgusting. So parents, I didn't have kids in that school. But I stood there on that street between the psychopaths and the girls and the girls' school. And that's when I was spit on and questioned. Wow. That's so crazy. So, um. I don't know if we can get into this, but I'm curious because I know that there's elections that are coming up very soon in Beit Shemesh. Mm -hmm. Could you share any insight into what you'd want for the future of Beit Shemesh? Um, what yeah. you're hoping out of this election? Look, um, Eliza Bloch is the lesser of two evils. As disappointed as I am in her breaking of promises to the, the Tilumi community. We were promised the religious portfolio. We were promised a bunch of things that she reneged on. I'm not going to lie about that. But she knew what is the truth, which is that she's the lesser evil and that she has us in her pocket. Um, and at the end of the day, if people in Beit Shemesh don't vote for Eliza and don't vote for Rena Hollander's party, Habayit Shalanu, there will be zero women in the city council. Now, why does that matter? It's not because we have a uterus, we have to be around the table, okay? Even though, obviously, there is something to be said about that. What's the real important thing is that you have people who understand the way the world works for other people. Men don't live life the way women do. Men don't live Judaism the way women do. They just don't by virtue of them being men, not bad people, men. Women don't live like men do. And it wouldn't be right, right to have an entire city council of only women either. There have to be women. Sure. There have to be people who are Dati Lumi. There have to be people who are Ethiopian. There have to be people who are disabled. There have to be people, or, or at least to commit to representing those populations. But nobody commits to representing the Dati Lumi or the female population of the city. They are liars when they say that they represent us. They just don't. I'm sorry. No Haredi parties go to the committee meetings in the Knesset for domestic violence. They don't go to the Knesset committee meetings on women's health, breast cancer, none of it. They don't show up. So don't tell me that they represent their women. They do not. We must have women and people from other populations who don't see the world exactly the same way on the city council for this city to thrive. What's going to happen when 95% of the people don't pay our Nona? Yeah. What, what's going to happen? I mean... People who love the city need to get on board. 
They really need to wake up and be willing to sacrifice a little bit. And, and by sacrifice, I mean, well, first of all, vote. And second of all, maybe even run in the elections. Maybe get off your toches and do something. Maybe protest the psychosis that you see outside. My frustration is with people who don't say anything. Yeah. If you don't, if you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. Interesting. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, yeah, honestly, I feel like Rena Hollander would be an incredible mayor. She's amazing. And she's the deputy mayor. Was the deputy mayor? There are three deputy mayors. They are oh, underneath the mayor. So, yeah. So she's one of them. And she has a great party of professionals, of activists. It's called Habayit Shalanu. And please, I am begging you. I am begging you. Don't worry. The Haredi parties will be in the city council. Please vote for Habayit Shalanu because everyone deserves to be represented. Yeah. I will definitely put out this podcast before the elections so that they could hear your uh, take on that because I think it is very important. Um, you know, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you know this about me. You probably don't. But when I was in high school, I wanted to be Haredi. Um, I was, like, very into like, being Haredi and like, going, like, that route. Um, I wasn't, like, religious until I was mm-hmm. in seventh grade. And then between seventh and ninth grade, I basically switched. And I went on the other deep end and I wanted to be Haredi. And, um, yeah, it was really crazy like i went to my new um in tinek and i would always say like Ugh, mm. none of these people are from like they don't wear tights and they, they listen to secular music and whatever and it's so funny because over the years i've really developed like who i am and i've come into myself and like now i'm known for the opposite now i'm known for like not wanting to be hurty <laughs> at all <laughs> you know and it's uh it, i hear that i you know people whatever i mean i get upset when I'm like, did you really just buy Mishpacha magazine? You know, like, did you really just support that mm-hmm. cause? Um, and people know they're like, you know, I mean, listen, if there's a Mishpacha lying around at somebody's house and I'm there for a Shabbos, maybe I'll like glance at it. But I'm not, I'm really not into people buying it. I am very against not having women's faces, you know, different places everywhere. I mean, yes. I think that, yes. you know, and, and everyone knows that about me. So um, I'm definitely one of your biggest fans. And I definitely believe in what you are doing, which is why I'm so happy that you are here today. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're in our Jewish Life photo bank. You were one of our first models. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed being in that. And Giddy also came. Yes, um, it's funny because Giddy has a very... Um, his per- like you know I'm out of the box and Giddy was like can you interview me for your podcast I'm like oh that's so cute you're too in the box honey but I can interview you about <laughs> being married to somebody out of the box <laughs> oh that's great um, love it but he's you know I always asked him I'm like why are you not hurry because his personality would be like very much you know he follows the rules he's very like this but he's actually also like the biggest fan of Hachman Hashem he wears his shirt mm-hmm. from the oh. photo shoot more than I do. Um, That's so cute. And he like goes on runs with it. You know, he's very, um, he's very, yeah, he's very into women's faces. And he'll be like, tomorrow, did you see that? Or um, one of the things that really drove me crazy was in our old community. They would make like flyers and they'd literally say the entire community is invited to this event. Mm-hmm. And I would message them every time and I'd be like, including women and they'd be like oh yeah no mm-hmm. no women just the men and i'm like so why can't you just say a man's event you know just say a man's event i'm okay with it being separate fine women have separate events men have separate events meaning that's 
fine. And I understand, like, not being able to watch the kids or whatever. Right. But don't say the whole community is invited except for all the women. That does It just doesn't make sense. Like, I, it just boggled my mind always. And 100%. Honestly, it was one of the, like, I mean, it wasn't the only reason, but people ask us, like, why we moved from one area of Beit Shemesh to another, and I'm like, it just, the other area just became way too hardy for us, and I, like, couldn't deal with it. Um, and I still wonder if we're going to end up in Yerushalvot one day. Um, not that, you know, Yerushalvot doesn't have any hardy, but mm. um, Yerushalvot is a really, you know, open place, and I always right. say that even though I am in Beit Shemesh, um, you know, my mom's in Yerushalvot, my sister's in Yerushalvot, um, oh, wow. and I really love the city of Yerushalvot. Um, it's just a really cultural city, um, and I, anyone that asks me, they're like, I don't want to live in Beit Shemesh, where do I live? I'm like, Yerushalvot, go to Yerushalvot. <laughs> and That's so funny. Like, we're here because of the people, we're here because of our friends, whatever, but like, I'm, I'm Yerushalvot's biggest fan, for sure. Um, Okay, so your favorite part of Beit Shemesh, you would say, is the people, or is there anything else about Beit Shemesh that really intrigues you, like that makes you happy? The location, I the love going hiking. I, I love going hiking, especially this is the best season ever. The flowers are everywhere. I'm like in my happy place. Neith. I'm in my happy place, which is why being able to step outside and see the landscape and go it 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 gives me a, a a place to breathe, you know, yeah. which is also why it's so destructive to see what they've done to the hills. I mean, it's just like, whatever. It's painful. Right. No, for sure, it's painful. Yeah. Wait. So when you were growing up, you also said that you were going to public schools and Jewish schools. Like you were going in between. Where did you I go? Went to Frisch for one year, and then uh, public public um, high school for two years, and then Stern. But I, I, I want to say that I think, especially now, like I, I didn't grow up as sheltered as most Orthodox Jews do. And living next to black, Puerto Rican, whatever people in Brooklyn is not the same as being friends with them. And I okay. was, uh, I, I think it was seventh grade I was in public school. And then again for 10th and 11th. And I had friends of all backgrounds. One of my closest friends was um, church-going Christian, and she knew I couldn't eat in her house, and they went out of their way to get me, you know, whatever they could. And, and you learn respect, and you learn how to live with people, and you learn that people have values just because they're not yours doesn't mean they're bad. And I loved having Black friends, Puerto Rican friends, Mexican friends, wow. friends who were all colors, backgrounds, and religions, and it didn't care, right? Like, it really was not a thing. And I the, I was their Jew friend who they had to open up the door because I was kind of Shabbos, kind of not. I didn't grow up religious, but, like, I started to become religious, and they were just like, oh, come on, I'll open the car door for you, and you'll come with us, and you won't have to open the door. Like, they were amazing about it, and I loved it. And their mom understood why I couldn't eat in their houses, but they never hated me for it. And I think that I benefited tremendously from knowing and having friends with and growing up with people who did not have my background, who did not have my religion and values, uh, and, and being able to get to know them as people. I, I feel sorry 
for people who don't have that opportunity of all kinds, meaning whomever you are, not knowing people who are not like you is a real detriment. It's a lack. And I, I now more than ever feel that, feel that I really benefited from being in a very, very high minority high school. Well, I was going to ask you, like, in, you know, since October 7th, right, what is your take on being friends with people that are not like you, that are not Jewish? I mean, the anti-Semitism in America is rampant. Um, I'm much more scared about America than I am about Israel. Um, yeah, sure. What, I mean, what is, like, I don't know if you can answer this, but, like, do you think that, you know, Jews in America should be going to public schools and should be getting along more with their non-Jewish neighbors, or should they be isolating? No, I, I never think isolation is a solution for anything, first of all. I don't think that that's never a, never a solution. But um, apropos to what I said before, when this all started, I got messages from people I have not seen since high school on Facebook saying, praying for you, thinking of you, hope you're safe. Two black friends from high school, um, another few Christian friends from high school who were white, and I felt love. I felt love, I felt appreciation, I felt heard and seen as a human being. So I can't overestimate the importance of knowing people. I, I think isolation is always bad. Um, but they knew me from decades ago. So would I say that I would feel comfortable now in high school? Uh, I don't know that I would, seeing what we see. At the same time, you know, I want us to be careful not to judge everyone in the world by the worst that we see. Yeah. On, on every side. I, I think that's a really important rule in general. Um, and so I do believe in dialogue. I do believe in talking. I don't believe in screaming and yelling and hate. I feel like it's important to speak your truth and, you know, uh, let people know who you are, but doing so in a way that is not, you know, calling for the other person. I, it's a, I mean, do I have to explain how to be a decent human being? I guess I do these these days, but I, I think that it's it's scary, but I don't think we give up. And I think that at the same time, do I think Jews belong in Israel? Yeah, I think Jews belong in Israel. I mean, do I want all of Lakewood coming here? I don't know about that. I hear you. No, I hear you. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it's important to have a more Datilumi and secular um, Israeli, you know, and I don't want the Haredim to all take over, and that's, that is scary. But let's say why it's scary, because I don't want people to take from this, it's scary if Haredim take over. We have to explain why. Yeah. It's not because they're Haredim. That's not, it's because everywhere so far that there has been a Haredim majority, the wider population's rights and opportunities are lessened. And that's not okay. Right. It's not okay to only look out for your population. It, everyone, obviously, in politics represents their constituency. That makes sense. But you also have to remember that everyone else is here. And it's not okay to rule the public sphere. You can't say women can't be here. You can't say pictures of women can't be here. You can't put girls in the back of the bus. You just cannot do that. And unfortunately, these are the things that occur when Haredim have a majority in the city. And if that didn't occur, I wouldn't have a problem. For sure. Right? But, but that For is sure. what happens. And that's not okay. So I, I, we have to just make, make like anyone who doesn't understand, that's part of the issue. Or that's a large part of the issue. Right. No, absolutely. Um, Shoshana, when you made Aliyah, uh, you made Aliyah again in 2007. 
how many kids did you have at a time? Did you have kids in Israel also? My first son was born in Israel when we were first here. Then we had two girls in the States, and then we had two more boys here. So all my boys were actually born in Israel. Wow. And all my girls in America. And how old were they when they made Aliyah? Um, well, the eldest was eight. Again, he had been born here and lived here for the first year and a half of his life. Uh, he was eight, and then uh, my daughter was five. My other daughter was two. That's it. Eight, five, and two. Wow. And how have they developed in your Beit Shemesh? Um, do they enjoy it? Does your husband enjoy it? I mean, what are their, I mean, now they're, I guess the eight-year-old at the time is now 20, 20, 24. 24. Um, and I mean, does he imagine like, is he, is he married? Is he going to live in your Ramat Beit Shemesh now? Like what if his My son's married? He's not living in Rabbi Chemish. He is, thank God, in medical school in Hebrew University, as is his wife. His wife is uh, actually going to be Dr. Jaskell before he will. Oh, wow. um, and my daughter is in Bar Ilan Law. Cool. Um, those are my two oldest. Um, how do they feel about Beijing? I mean, no, of course they would never come back here. <laughs> there's nothing here for them. No, I mean, there's nothing here from that. It's not even a, you can't, you can't, the prices here are so outrageous that you're priced out. Right. So hopefully they will find a nice young community that is more welcoming and more affordable. But when they were living in Beit Shemesh, though, what was their take on it? Were they happy living in Beit Shemesh? Were they happy going to schools in Beit Shemesh? Did they go to schools in Beit Shemesh? Were they commuting? I mean, yeah, they went to schools in Beit Shemesh. But, I mean, look, again, I, as I said, the, the smaller community here, and obviously, you know, it goes by streets, which yeah. is kind of funny. Like, I never would have thought, like, I we used to walk 25 minutes. You can't walk 25 minutes. You can, but you're not in the same place. Um, the smaller communities are great. Our school is great. And their schools are okay. Not great. They're okay. Um, look, you compromise on everything. You compromise on everything. You can't have everything. So you have to decide what you're willing to give up and what you're not willing to give up. And... Um, there are definitely detrimental things about this city. Um, some things you can, uh, parent around and some things you can't parent around. Um, and so the kids are still happy. They have, I mean, there are youth clubs here. There is a Datilo Meek presence here. There is, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, we're not in the Rapid Shemesh Bet. Yeah. We're not even in Gimel. Or Gimel. We're the last bastion. We're the Alamo, basically. We're the Alamo for the Americans in the room who know what we're talking about. Um, you know, in the Rabbi Jamish Aleph, there are two larger, or two or three larger uh, kahilot that are Datil um, or me. We are one of them. And so, yes, kids can still grow up and be happy. However, I will caution anyone who wants to come here and put their kids in Haredi schools, yeah. your children will have a much, much harder time integrating into Israeli society and you are doing them a great disservice. And if no one has told you that before because they're afraid and they want to be PC, I will be your friend and I will tell you that putting your child into a Haredi school in Ramad Beit Shemesh or in Beit Shemesh where they are not going to learn Hebrew, where they are not going to integrate in Israeli, you are doing them a tremendous disservice. No, 100%. They will not adjust well. 100%. No, I mean, it's interesting. So we also, we switched from one community. Now we're actually not even in Aleph. We are in Hay. Um, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> we're in Hay, um, which is a whole nother vibe. Um, it's a bit more Datilomi, our community is a bit more Datilomi. And one of the big differences that I realized was, you know, in our other community, everyone sent their kids 
to schools that were in the Haredi system, more or less. And then, you know, now that we're in Hay, everyone is sending more to the Datilami schools. Um, and, it, and it is. It's a big difference. And it's a big difference in terms of, like, what you're looking for and who you are and your connection to Israel and your connection to the army. Um, and I'm very, very against Haredim not going to the army. That, to me, is one of yeah. the biggest embarrassments ever. So, I mean, I think there's, it's an important thing to understand. Just I, I don't really want to get into this, but I can yeah. tell you that in the beginning of the state, Ben-Gurion gave 400 yeshiva students a ptor, an exemption, from the army because we did need Torah scholars and we did need yeshivas. That was never meant to be a way of life for tens of thousands, ever. Wow. The mistake was making it a way of life for everyone and for forcing Haredi men that if they're not learning... They can't work. So now you have a system where they either have to be in yeshiva full-time, which is not matim for most men. Most people yeah. can't sit all day, and they shouldn't be. They need to mifranes the family. It's totally against Torah, but okay. But now, because they because the army is, whatever, it's a longer issue. But the point is, there needs to be solutions, and nobody is willing to find those right solutions. So... I agree with you. It needs to change. It is not 100% the Haredim's fault. It is also the fault of the government that does not really work hard in making a system where they can get out. And it's the, the fault of the Haredi politicians and leaders who want to control their population. And that's for another podcast. Great. No, for sure. Okay. So, uh, Shoshana, we're going to wrap up now. Um, but I wanted to ask you a few last questions. One, when you were growing up, if you were to tell your 15-year-old self that you'd be living in your Mabit Shemesh and being the founder and director of Chachmat Nashem, do you think that you would have believed it? Do you think that your 15-year-old self would have been like, oh yeah, totally I would have been this way? What were your expectations for your life as you were growing up and how had that changed over time? I wanted to be an astronaut. Cool. I really wanted to be an astronaut. I went to space camp when I was 12. I've always been fascinated by the stars. I will go at every opportunity to see stars and I will lay there for hours unless you pick me up. Um, so I probably would have laughed, but I also didn't understand the issues in the Jewish community, right? So I never would have thought that we would be abandoned by rabbis. I never would have thought that our leadership would choose politics over people. I never would have thought that women would be stuck in marriage. I never would have thought that women would be erased. So I wouldn't have really understood the question because right. I didn't see what was wrong in the community at that time. And now, having seen so much injustice, having seen how women are being failed, how children are being abused and their abusers are being let go, there's just too much to fight for. I have to fight for the people, for the Jewish people. It's not an option. So I guess my question is, you know, you mentioned that you were like Baltriva. You mentioned that you weren't religious growing up and you became religious a bit later. What made you become religious and what made you stay as an Orthodox Jew? Like, you know, with all of this negative stuff, what made you stay in the Orthodox world and what made you be in the Orthodox world to begin with? So, gosh, I've always, I mean, I went to the day school, so I always knew Judaism and Alphabet. Thanks to my mom, she insisted that I go. Um, so I always knew about everything. My house was kosher, but we would eat out, right? But, um, it, it's not, such an animal doesn't exist anymore, but this is how it was in the States when I was younger. Um, and as I got older, I kind of had to make a decision. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, but I'm very much a shit or get off the pot kind of person. Like you, you eat, choose, choose something. So if you're going to do something, you do it. 
Um, and so I started to look into what is this, my Judaism? What is this, my Torah? Um, the more I learned, the more I was like, listen, I may not have all the answers, but I know that God created the world. Or at least I know that some being created the world. You can't have a sun and the moon that exactly line up and cover each other to the exact millimeter from the perspective of, of the earth when they're so millions of miles away. It just doesn't, everything was created. It's clear. So then now what does that mean for me? Right. Mm -hmm. So then that was that, that was the kind of journey. Um, but for me, my relationship with Hashem is paramount. No one else defines my Judaism. The Torah defines my Judaism. And no one else defines my relationship with Hashem. I define my relationship with Hashem. So the fact that there's corruption, the fact that there's injustice, the fact that there are rabbis who call themselves rabbis but don't uphold the Torah does not, for me, take away my relationship with God and Torah. It means that for me, I have to, if I want to, fight for the future of Judaism. I have to fight for my children's future. I have to fight for the Jewish people's future. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always been, you know, a fighter. So um, I will always do that. But no one else is going to take away my Judaism. If I choose not to be observant, it's going to be my choice. It's not going to be because someone else is a total ass. Great. No, 100%. 100%. I mean, so you really differentiate the people from the practice. Yep. Well, that's the only way to get through the day, honey. <laughs> um, okay, so is there a pasuk or a quote that really like pushes you forward, that inspires you, that makes you continue doing what you're doing? Um, there are a few that are inspiring to me. Obviously, Tzedek Tzedek Tildof is something that I take very seriously. Great. Can you translate also? Tzedek Tzedek Tildof is justice, justice you shall pursue, which means you have to be proactive. It's a proactive, positive commandment. Uh, but really what inspires me as a woman in Judaism probably would be the Benot Slavchad who fought for their rights and nitzchu, like they were victorious. Um, God said they're right. Um, and they earned their inheritance in the land of Israel. Cool. And they stood against the entire congregation and if you read if you read that story in Parshat Pinchas it's an unbelievable story they stood in front of Moshe they stood in front of Aaron they stood in front of all the princes or yeah the princes the heads of the tribe and the whole Eidah they stood in front of everybody and they said our father sinned in the Midbar but it wasn't with Korach he died of his own sin why should his name be erased let us inherit his portion it's such wow. a beautiful brave incredible stance to take publicly that I'm just like, God, if they could do it back then, I could do it now. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I don't know. Do we know the names of the Benot Slavchad? Of course. Yeah. All of them. They're mentioned three times in the Torah. Who are they again? Noah, Milka, Tirza, Chogla, and Macha. So did you name any of your kids after the Benot Slavchad? I have a Noah. Ah, Noah. So Noah is not just an Israeli name. That's like a... It's biblical. Wow. I did not know that. That's really interesting. Noah stands for Nisim Vinifloot Asa Hashem. Oh, really? I did not know that. Well, we, I don't spell it with a Vav, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> In the Torah, there's it's Nun Ein Hey, but yeah. Oh, interesting. It's another fertility name. So all these fertility oh, names I'm very aware of. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's um, cute. Wow. Okay. So, and then the last question is Shoshana, um, you know, is there one message? Is there one thing that maybe you haven't shared yet that you'd want to share on this podcast to really wrap up? 
So first of all, listen to the Chochmat Nashim podcast. We talk about all the things that we touched on here. We talk about in depth. Um, and you, if you haven't heard of it, you can binge the last seven seasons and enjoy. Um, you'll learn a lot about Israel, about women in Judaism, about the issues that we face. Um, so thank you for that. But also, I think I always want people to know that they are Judaism. And you at home, you matter. And your opinion matters and your actions matter and you can make a difference. In fact, I believe you're obligated to make a difference. When you see injustice, when you see it can be anything, it could be something small on your level and something that you feel comfortable doing. If there's someone who's single, invite them to your table. If there's someone who doesn't have children, daven for them and invite them too. Make sure that you are part of the of, of lifting people up and making people feel good. And if there's someplace that's erasing women, talk about it. Find other people who agree with you and fight back. You don't have to accept that. It's not Judaism. Don't let them shut you down. You don't have to be quiet. In fact, you were given a voice and an intelligence for a reason. And I believe it's a Jewish obligation to use it. Wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, this is why I do what I do with my podcast, with my Instagram page. It's very important to me to raise awareness of people that are, you know, that, that people overlook a lot. That are marginalized? Yeah, um, marginalized, stigmatized, um, you know, people that are just anything but traditional, people that are out of the box, very, like, I grew up uh, living a life that I felt very frustrated that I wasn't in the box. Right. And um, that I wasn't, that I didn't, you know, go to Berea and Stern and marry a rabbi. Like, oh, that for me was always like, that's what I thought life was supposed to be like. Um, and it was very frustrating for me that I wasn't like that. And so that's why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing today is because there are so many different ways to live a Jewish life, right? Even even the Torah has, should be in Putting Torah, right? Like uh-huh. 70 different faces of the Torah, t- 70 different ways of interpreting the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I do what I do today of um, that's great. That's making awesome. sure that everyone has a voice in the Orthodox Jewish world. Um, so Shoshana, is there any, like, do you want people to reach out to you? Do you not want people to reach sure. out to you? If you do, where could they, you know, message you or get in touch with you? You can message me on Instagram or Twitter. I am usually there. Um, or if you want to email me, it's skjaskell at gmail. And um, yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Tamar. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Anything But Traditional. It was a really great episode with Shoshana Keith Jaskell. And I've always just loved Shoshana for what she believes in, what she does how she really wants to educate and inspire and make sure that the Orthodox Jewish world is a better place, a better community, a more accepting community. And she really is moving mountains. I know that there's a lot to unpack here, though, as always, but um, I know that there's a lot, a lot here. So if you want to unpack it, please go over to Tales of Tomorrow on Instagram to do so. Um, and make sure that you know that there's dedication opportunities, sponsorship opportunities, ad opportunities. And of course, make sure to rate this podcast on Apple and Spotify. There's a lot that we can do together. There's a lot that, you know, we can brainstorm. If you want to maybe suggest another guest that you'd want on, I'm happy to hear that too. So really, let's talk and discuss different ideas for the future of this podcast. And I look forward to hearing from you.
Until next time, all the best.